Welcome to this week's episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup, the Belfast Telegraph Rugby Podcast. Very delighted to have your company this week. I'm Adam McKendry, stepping into the hosting chair for the next 45 minutes. Hope you're all keeping well. Two people who I certainly hope are keeping well and in fine voice for this week's podcast are my guests and colleagues, Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hello. Good to see you. Or and hear you. Can't see you. <laughs> we can see each other. The joys of Zoom. Yeah, we can. We can, yeah. <laughs> And someone who I'm sure is looking forward to getting back on the golf courses in England before we are in Northern Ireland, it's Richard Mulligan. Hello, Richard. Hello, Adam. Hello, Michael. Great to be with you. Um, big, big boots to fill the day. No Mr. Hannah and no Mr. Bradley. The pressure's on. I know. I feel, I feel like we're just, you know, keeping the seats warm here, but <laughs> got to do something Social to justify our selection. <laughs> Plenty to get stuck into this week, ranging from a game against the Ospreys to Ireland's trip to Italy, which is rather more important than I think they hoped it would be at the start of the Six Nations. And we will also talk about some Jaguars, or Jaguares, if you want to give them their proper Spanish name. We may also talk about the proper pronunciation of Jaguares, because I think I've probably botched that really badly. Um, So I apologize to any of our Spanish-speaking friends. But first, two events at Scotston Stadium last week, where Ulster returned from a five-week break with a 19-13 win away to Glasgow Warriors. Tries from Michael Lowry, Craig Gilroy and Nick Timoney sealing an important win on the road. However, with Leinster racking up yet another bonus point against the Dragons at Rodney Parade on the same night, Ulster now five points back in Conference A of the Pro 14, with just four games remaining until the final. And of course, as we all know by now, only the top side will go to that final. Michael, we'll start with yourself. Good win away from home at a tough venue that Ulster have traditionally struggled at in the past, or is all that matters is it's a lost point in the conference standings to Leinster? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you, Adam. I I thought they played pretty well, considering no game for six weeks, a difficult venue, which they've struggled at, and I believe hadn't won there in about five years albeit against Glasgow team who are definitely not doing well this season, but they were fairly loaded, Glasgow. They didn't get the bonus point. Yes, they need the bonus points. We all know that, of course. But I thought actually overall, some of the stuff they did was pretty good. And it's got to be seen in the context of the fact that they haven't been able to play any live rugby for quite a period of time. I think as well as that, there will be disappointment that they, they didn't get the five. But all they can do is just keep winning games. And I suppose realistically, you really have to think now Leinster have to trip up and they, they, they probably won't. But, I, you know, overall, I think it wasn't. It was a reasonably good display and a very difficult night for the players to come back and to perform. They will be disappointed, but it's still a win. And I, I honestly don't think you can take an awful lot more away from it than that. Richard, we saw sort of in the first half how it did take a while for them to sort of hit their straps but then the second half and especially in the first half of the second half they were really playing some nice rugby putting Glasgow under a lot of pressure how did you sort of see the game unfolding? I was particularly impressed with the first half in the way that Ulster managed and navigated what was I mean Glasgow came at them and they had to defend stoutly you know to go in at half time leading as they did was maybe a bonus for them based on the balance of play of it but I thought that and we all know if you score before half time, it does give you a huge lift going into the changing room and you can think very strongly about how you're going to dominate maybe in the second half. And it was funny because um, when the halftime whistle went there, I flicked over to Premier Sports 2 to see how Dragons were doing. And they were leading 15-14. You thought, oh, right, this is interesting. 
And when Ulster went ahead further in the second half, you clicked over again, and <clears throat> by that stage, Leinster had secured a bonus point uh, in, in, in uh, Newport, and uh, we kind of thought, right, okay, they're going to have to push this out. There will be disappointment, there's no doubt. They put themselves in a position where they had three tries. There was 10 minutes to go. You don't know if they were going to get a bonus point out of it, but they certainly put themselves in the position, and that was important to think going forward, that they were able to get themselves in that position. Okay, Albie Matthewson delivered knock-on. Everybody knows you put your hand out nowadays, and if you don't intercept the ball cleanly or at least be attempting to make it, you're going to get carded. And they went down to 14 men. And you felt nervous then for them in a way because it could have changed. It could have been a defeat. So I think to come away with, three point, with the four points is a bonus in a way mm-hmm. because they could have lost that game as easily. Yeah, so I was going to ask given the circumstances, given the context of the conference, were you surprised that Ian Madigan kicked it out at the end? Or, you know, because I, I can see both ways where you want to get the bonus point to keep up with Leinster. And some some coaches love to send messages down onto the pitch where they say, you know, look, Leinster have got a bonus point. We need to get a bonus point as well. Or do you think it was the right call to kick it out, like on the edge of Glasgow's 22 as well? Yeah, I think when you're 14 men, I think it was the right call in that situation. I mean, there was a lot of debate about the Dragons, why, why Davis kicked the ball out when they were only six points behind and they had the momentum at that time and had come back into it. But different situation, Dragons are looking for Champions Cup rugby next season. So a losing bonus point was probably the right thing to take for them. I think Madigan made the right call at that time. They took the four points. There's a lot of ifs and buts. I mean, you look at the fixtures that are left. Ulster play the Ospreys this weekend. Leinster at home to Glasgow. Then you have Ulster, Leinster. You expect Ulster and Leinster both to win the remaining matches. I mean, th- th- there's a tricky encounter for Ulster away to Dragons, there's no doubt. You saw Leinster struggled a wee bit, but you have to beat Leinster in Belfast, and you've got to think of the equations that could happen there. It could be a high-scoring game, 48-47, something daft like that, and Leinster pick up two bonus points, so you're still going to be behind in many respects. So um, at this point, it's hard to see the Pro 14 final or the Pro League final, whatever you want to call it, being anything else than Leinster and Munster competing it. That's the way I'm seeing it at the moment. Because mm. we have a couple of listener questions that we got in. Uh, Niall McDonald asks, do you think the chances of reaching the Pro 14 final are unfortunately gone? James Bradley asks, can Ulster catch Leinster? And if so, how? Richard, you've given your thoughts. Michael, would you agree with what Richard said? Or have you got a different opinion? No, I haven't. It'd be hard to have a different opinion, really. <laughs> you know, Leinster will make the final, I would think, at this stage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the match between the two provinces, I think it's uh, the start of March, is going to be very interesting. But I, I would expect Leinster to make it now at this stage, um, regardless of what Ulster do. You know, they are, if you like, the brand leaders of this league. They are not going to slip up, I think, from this position. I think Ulster have probably, unfortunately, had their chance. And I think it's most likely it's gone now. You can never say absolutely, definitively never. I know that they'll keep going to the end. And I know as well that they, they should beat the Ospreys this weekend and ideally should get really the five as it's at, at home. But in the end, I, I, I do, I would agree with Richard, it's, it's, it's very, very hard to see anything other than the Leinster Monster final here. I, I can't see that really seriously altering. I think I would add there, Adam and Michael, just, I mean, I'm, I'd be quietly confident that, okay, we're wondering how Marcel's going to come out of injury and, and, and his examination this week. But I'd be quietly confident that Ulster can beat Leinster in Belfast. 
And I think that's something that they can then build for next season. I don't see them taking five points in Belfast against Leinster. And I don't see Leinster losing maybe by more than seven points either. So I think they can go out, give Leinster a run for their money. As Michael says, they're the brand leaders in this competition. And I mean, you look at the difference at the moment in the league table is that Leinster have played 12, lost one, have 11 bonus points. Ulster have played 12, lost one, and have six bonus points. Mm -hmm. And Leinster picked up the five points, it's five bonus points, and it shows you the importance of the bonus points in this competition. I think that's an interesting point you make about Ulster can beat Leinster, and I, I completely agree. But just if you look at the teams that were playing at the weekend, Ulster and Leinster's uh, match day squads that were playing at the weekend, you reckon it's probably going to be something similar whenever they face each other next week because it's a Six Nations down week. They're probably going to get roughly the same amount of guys released for that game as they were for last week. So, you know, if, if you look at those two squads compared, you would say on paper, Ulster probably better prepared for that game next week. It's probably a game that they could actually probably just say, look, this is our mountain. You know, we have to go for this. It's all out or all, all in, all out, just go for this. So I think that's a really interesting tie whenever you look at it objectively now even without Marcel Katsia um, it, it, it's a chance for a marker to be put down by Ulster and by players in the Ulster squad at that time especially since you're looking at depth players where you're trying to say you know Leinster have had this conveyor belt of talent coming for so long here's the chance for Ulster's conveyor belt of talent to say we want to be at that level and we're going to prove to you that we are on the same level as you guys. Yeah, uh, Don McFarland said a number of times now that how important it is to try and close the gap. And I think this is a, a great opportunity for them to, if you like, assess where they are in relation to that, having got them at home. Because as we all know, winning the RDS seems to be almost, almost you'd say, beyond them and an impossibility. This isn't necessarily once they get them out the Kingspan. I think regardless of what way the result goes, I think there's no way that, you know, Dan McFarland will look at this very closely to see how they go against these guys in their own backyard in a game that kind of really does matter for both of them as well. This is an unusual occurrence to kind of get them in this situation here. So I think it'll tell us a great deal about where Ulster are going as to how this match pans out. And I would expect Ulster to give a very good account of themselves in this game as well. Because I, I thought some of the some of the, the attacks they launched there at Scottstown, some of the tries they scored, you know, they're really encouraging, very positive very ambitious, very, you know, and, and I think that that is a very key direction which this Ulster squad is, is, is going in. Just you mentioned some of the tries there. Uh, you had one great counter-attacking try at the end of the first half. You had another great interplay between the forwards and the backs for Craig Gilroy to go over. How impressed have you guys been with and especially coming off the back of a five-week break where you haven't had that kind of those games in a run to have that cohesion. How impressed have you guys been with just, just the kind of attacking verve that Ulster have had um, this season? I think it's been a trait this year. You've, you have seen a new kind of clinical edge to Ulster, um, not just close in, but from far out. And you take Michael Larry's try and, and the way that came about, I mean, the offloading, they've got an offloading game, they've got a talent. I mean, they've got props who are, who are offloading balls now, which you don't normally see or associate, <coughs> or you wouldn't have associated with Ulster five years ago. And, um, I think the players are playing with confidence and I think they've been given a wee bit of a free run maybe. Maybe Dan is not maybe as as, as, as strict with some of them. Don't do this, don't do that. 
the players are backing themselves and that's good to see, um, especially some of the young ones that are coming through. And I mean, Michael Lowry, you know, we, we keep talking about him that he's maybe a little bit too small for this and that and the other, but he has delivered week on, week out. So it's been, I think one of the big things this season has been seeing Ulster's attack really has has started to come through. And not just from close range where the, where they get a line out five metres out, they're they're nearly always going to score, guaranteed. They're play, they're happy to attack from the middle of the pitch and even from inside their own half, which is good to see. Christopher Tull, in one of our listener questions, asked, has young Lowry made fullback his position full-time? And just off the back of what you said there, Richard, about how he, he keeps turning in performances, like he constantly seems to be at least a seven, and most weeks he's pushing up into eights and nines in terms of his performance. Christopher's question can sort of be looked at two ways, so I think it's... We should probably ask it both ways. Is Michael Lowry now Ulster's starting fullback every week? Is he one of the first names on the team sheet now? I'll yes. Throw yeah, Michael. <laughs> yes. Michael straight in. I mean, Don McFarland said as much, uh, you know, the interview, the post-match, whether it was tongue-in-cheek or not, I don't know, that they asked him to play fullback because they didn't really have anybody else. I took it out as a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but he is most definitely nailed down that position. Uh, Jacob Stockdale as we know, uh, has been looked at in that position with probably more of you point you know, towards his Ireland uh, credentials, but is a better winger. But Michael Lowry is performing all the right, you know, all the tasks that he needs to, to start at 15 every week. And his stepping terrifies defences if he runs at them. And that's really what you want. He's also very solid under the high ball. Seems to be doing okay defensively too. I'm sure Richard would probably agree. Given any sort of opportunity whatsoever to run with the ball, which is very much what we're also want to do. He's become an absolutely key, a key player for them in getting them on the front foot, encountering and in eating up acreage on the pitches. I mean, I think if he's not the first name on the sheet 15, I, I can't for the life of me think who else is. And he seems to be getting better and better as, as, as games trundle on. Just support Michael and what he said there. Michael Lurie has stepped in. He oozes with confidence and, you know, what's refreshing is he makes mistakes and he'll, he'll shake his head a bit and he'll turn around and the next thing he'll make some big play. And I think that's him backing himself again. And I'm not sure where his future lies in an international scene, but certainly Ulster Rugby need to hang on to him for many, many years to come. And I think he is your starting fullback. Michael talked about Jacob there. And I think Jacob's game, has, it's been detrimental to him playing at fullback. And I know it was an Irish, probably from an Irish perspective, where they thought, look, Jacob could maybe fill that role for us um, in Dublin. But I think it's been a mistake. And um, Jacob needs to get back to playing on the wing. And Michael Lowry allows him to do that with Ulster. You know what? I'm going to say something. I think Hugo Keenan impressing for Ireland is probably the best thing that could have happened for Ulster because it means that there is less inclination for the RFU to want Stockdale to play 15 now that they've got an option there in Keenan, who has proven that he is potentially their future at fullback. Because if Keenan hadn't come on the scene, then there would have been more claims for Stockdale to come back into the lineup. But now that you've got Keenan there, you can put Stockdale back on the wing. There's less pressure for Ulster to put him at fullback, and that allows you to play Lowry. So... It maybe wasn't what Ulster were thinking was going to happen, but I'd say they're probably happy to see Keenan doing well for Ireland. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. I thought Keenan really impressed against the French, and that's where he needed to show if he could compete 
against them. Um, and he, he, he proved that, and I agree with you. I think the more he shines there, and the more James Lowe continues to flop at number 11, I think Jacob Stockdale's place is, is readily available there. Mm. Let me, you look at Ulster's depth now. We're talking about Lowry is definitely the starting fullback, and I, I would agree now. I completely agree with that. But if you think about, you've got Will Addison potentially to come back in. You've got Robert Balakoon to add to that back three mix again. Rob Little's only just back from injury, so you've got to give him a few games to get back up to speed. Like, there's so many options now that Ulster have to sort of mix and match in that back three that you're really looking at and thinking this is possibly the strongest they've been since, you know, Bo Trimble and Gilroy were at the height of their part. Yes, I totally agree. And Michael touched on it there when he was talking about Leinster earlier, about the, the great conveyor belt that we've seen coming through in, in Leinster over the years. And you take in all the demographics of where Leinster are based and, and everything else. But if you look at the young players that have come through, and we can include the, the Rob Littles in that. I know he's been there for a while, but he's he's now getting his opportunities. And there is a continual conveyor belt of players coming through um, we saw Cormac coming on in, in, in the forwards at the weekend, you know, and that's the other thing about for me in the past year with Ulster is that the number of players that are now starting to come through from the academy, it's starting to show the fruits of what has been done. And as you say, when you think back to the Ulster team with Trimble and Bo, and at the time, you've now got massive options and the players that when they do come in, it's like a seamless transition for them. You know, somebody kind of played 50 caps, somebody kind of played two caps, and they seem to come in seamlessly and, and, and do the job. And that's a, that's a tribute to the players, but it's also a tribute to the coaching staff. Michael, Richard mentioned Cormac as a Chukwu there, sixth academy player to make his debut this season alone. Maybe a bit of a quiet debut. He wasn't quite on the ball as much as I think he would have liked to have been, but what did you make of his first appearance in an Ulster jersey? Yeah, I mean, reasonably encouraging. I've seen him play for Ulster A, and he really has stood out there. This is obviously quite a step up for him. But Dan McFarland felt clearly happy enough to to put him there on the bench, I suppose, though there were injuries, of course. He's just another product coming out of the Ulster Academy who seems to have a future in front of him, as opposed to people who you might not have necessarily ever heard of again. It's very much, again, part of the McFarland plan, I think, to create a, a team where he well, we've already touched on, and Richard mentioned it, that you can drop people in and out and seamlessly continue on. It's what Leinster do. It's the Leinster way. And from time to time, Dan, as we've, I've already mentioned, does mention them in passing. Uh, they are, if you like, the model that you want to try to, to try to emulate to be more competitive in this league and then take that with you to Europe. And this squad that he's building now seems to be able to do that because there is chopping and changing. You know, it, it seems to work. It doesn't, you don't get a, a situation where players arrive and it's rabbit in the headlights. It, they, they seem comfortable. They seem confident in the game plan and they seem to all know exactly what it is that they're supposed to do. And that's reflected in the season where they've won, I know, most of their games. Uh, and people argue that, you know, Pro 14 drops off a lot. It does, it's true, but they are doing well. And, and those those players coming through seem to have settled in pretty well too. So, yeah, I mean, it's very encouraging. Very encouraging indeed. I think just talking about Cormac again and being on the periphery as I am a bit now, I, I hadn't had the opportunity maybe to see him as much as you guys had. But 
I read <clears> Jonathan's <throat> profile on him last week, Jonathan Bradley's profile on him last week, and if anybody listening to the podcast hasn't read it, it's a, it's a fascinating story about where he has come from and where he is today, and it's, worth, it's definitely worth a look at. But I agree with Michael there. Ulster are playing with confidence, and they do it every week now, and that is one of the big pluses that there has been from this season as they are now a confident side going out every week and you have a high expectancy level <clears> with them. <throat> we used to have years ago that we haven't had maybe in recent times. You know, I watched the London Irish Bristol Bears game on Sunday. Cracking game. If you haven't yeah. watched it, I would highly recommend you go back and watch the highlights. Unbelievable stuff. Um, Charles Piatoy right at the centre of a lot yeah. of things that Bristol did. But I, I noticed something about Bristol was they're fantastic with ball in hand, but they have a very high error rate because they're trying stuff. They're trying to be very enterprising with ball in hand. And a lot of the time the stuff comes off and you get these world-class tries, but they also have a high error rate because they're, they're trying these things and they're constantly playing on the edge. And that's something that you're almost seeing come into Ulster's play where they're doing so much good stuff. But as we saw at the weekend, they do make a few errors because they are trying to find that one killer pass that just doesn't go to hand or a great offload that would set someone over just doesn't quite drop the way they want it to. So I think there's a lot of good enterprising from Ulster at the moment, which comes from playing with confidence, as you mentioned there, Richard. Um, And I think that's almost, it makes them a more exciting and more enjoyable team to watch. Yeah, I agree with you with the, on the Bristol uh, London Irish game. We were watching it here yesterday too, and, and absolutely. Fa- in fact, I actually left when I, the last fifteen minutes because I thought it was done and dusted. Oh no, what a mistake! Kids are kids are shouting at me. Go, it's 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 thirty four all here. You can't believe it. I came up and watched the end of it. Then you know, and London Irish should have probably won that with the last play of the match. Only mm. player dropped the ball, but um, no. But you're right about Bristol, and I mean Pat Lamb's done a great job there, and uh, Charles Peter. I mean. What a, what, a, what a fantastic player he still remains. So there was one bit of bad news from Friday night's game, and that was Marcel Kutsia going off with another knee injury just before halftime. Michael, we, we don't know yet how bad it is. Uh, Ulster obviously keeping their cards close to their chest until he's assessed. How significant would that be? And maybe that's a bit of an understatement, but how significant would that be? And how do you think Ulster will manage it going forward if this proves to be as significant as it looked? Well, yeah, I mean, by the time this goes out, we may well know. Mm. Uh, but at this, this juncture, we know nothing. It didn't look good. He stayed down for a long time. Actually, it was over the period of uh, time when uh, Michael Lowry scored the try. He, they basically had 14 men on the park and still managed to score the try. And then, as we all saw, once John Cooney had kicked the conversion and the players went off, you could see him. He walked off, but he didn't look, it didn't look good, did it? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's, it's really what, unfortunately, there was a previous there with, with uh, Marcel's knees. Uh, you, we just have to hope that it's not a bad one, which would um, finish his season, maybe finish his time even with Ulster and, and also haunt him when he goes back Ultimately, in South Africa, we just have to hope that isn't necessarily the case. Clearly, you know, Ulster will want a fit Marcel Kutsia to contribute in the remaining games. And of course, if we get to the Rainbow Cup, if we ever make, make it that far, we'll put it this way, they're going to have to get used to doing without him very soon anyway. And it could be that they're going to miss him for a significant number of the coming games 
but again, we've no way of knowing. It's a it's it's a huge loss, but I don't think it's as insurmountable a loss as maybe it might have been, say, a year ago or whatever. I'm um I think that they are better equipped to deal without him. You saw that they dealt without him at Glasgow. You might have thought that oh well, we've lost our key player now. We'll implode here. They didn't do that, and and, and players stepped up to the mark, held up their hands, and I thought did pretty well under the circumstances including people like Jordy Murphy, who was captaining the side. I thought he had a really, really good game. Mm. But, you know, he wasn't alone. Other players in the pack also stood up. And again, you know, I, I think they can manage without him. It will be a massive blow. But I, I don't see it as being as having a massive effect on them, say, you know, catching and maybe overhauling Leinster, because I can't see them doing that, whether they had Marcel or not. But it, it, it you know what? It would be a very, very sad way for it to end if, say, Marcel have to step out for two or three months or even worse if he required surgery but hopefully that won't be the case we shall just have to just have to wait and see i suppose on that one marcel i mean i mean marcel for me looking at the way ulster used him i, I thought they over relied on him at times and if, to be honest from a pro from a from a pro 14 context i mean know how things probably will pan out now i mean yes mm. there could be a few surprises somewhere along the line zebra could upset Leinster and Italy you don't know but you would like to have him for the Leinster game because that's a big game um, that's like a European Cup game and that's where you need the likes of Marcel is Ulster to manage the Pro 14 probably quite comfortably without the likes of Marcel starting every week it's when they make that step up to Europe that's where you need the likes of Marcel alluded to here the Rainbow Cup hopefully it will go ahead this year because it's going to be absolutely fantastic to see four South African <laughs> Super Rugby sides playing that's where you would need Marcel and that's where Ulster will struggle a wee bit without him. But I think, as, as Michael says as well, he's leaving. So Ulster have to learn to do without him in the bigger competitions. And hopefully, if we get the right announcements going forward, that come September, August, September this year, we'll have proper competitions and, and, and back to some sort of normality. It would be really disappointing for Marcel not to be seen again in an Ulster shirt before the end of the season. And, and, and let's hope that his injury isn't that serious and that he is able to get a a swan song or two swan songs before the end of this year. Jordy Murphy, for me, he was my man of the match against Glasgow. I thought he was outstanding. He led from the front. The way he spoke at the post-match, a natural natural captain, natural leader, um, spoke confidently, honest, honestly. There's my suffix trying to come out now that I was learning Ellis this morning. Um, he's been a a great signing for us over the years, and he he gives so much to that back row. And um, I hope to see him captain again before this before this season's out. You know, what, totally, and also uh, Nick Timoney's performances as well recently too. Mm. I thought have dovetailed very well into whatever position yes. he's played in the back row. And he was, you know, a, a very able able uh, supporter of everything that Jordy Murphy did. He was there. He contributed greatly to what they did. I just have to hope that Leonie Nakarawa plays a little bit better when he changes shirts. That's all. But I'm guessing that he, <laughs> let's give him the benefit of the doubt because he's hardly played, but he didn't look terribly interested, did he? So in relation to talking about Marcel, if indeed, you know, Leone turns up and performs like that, I think we'll be having conversations this time next year going, oh, if only they'd held on to Marcel, you know. But um, I, 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 look, I agree, Richard. I, I thought that, you know, guys in key positions really stepped up to the mark there. And they could easily remember they're coming into this game. They, they've only played once. That was January the 8th. You can't really count that run out against Ireland or knocking lumps out of each other 
in training at the Kingspan. And they could easily, and we've seen it happen so many times with them before, even at the very start of the season in August when they came back up the long lockdown, they lost to Connacht, if you remember. And they were really bad. They were poor. And then I think they lost. Did they lose to Leinster their next game? Yeah, they did, I think, didn't they? And we just thought, oh, no. This is typical Ulster. This is their inconsistency. I that 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 I think is I hope anyway beginning to be ironed out, and uh, when it matters, guys who you might have seen disappear a bit in the past because Jordy hasn't always played particularly well for Ulster. Neither has Nick Timoney, and at times we've thought maybe physically he you know he, he's been asked to do too much, but suddenly those guys are there, and I've got to mention somebody else in dispatches as well. Andy Warwick again came on, and I thought you know the scrum was a bit of a mess nobody really knew what was going on and I think Dan more or less said afterwards look we just didn't know so we we, we took off John Andrew and we took off um gosh I can't remember oh, Eric Eric O'Sullivan and he came on and stabilized it and again I saw Andy Warwick do a number of things in the loose as well and he's another you know unsung if you like a hero of some of the displays that Ulster produced to you know not only turn games around but win games you're so right about Andy Warwick he is Anytime he has come on this year, he has just managed to turn things on their head almost to a degree. Yeah. And to me, the big license as he's nicknamed, um, and he's just such a lovely, lovely guy. But when he came on on Saturday, he kind of went, there's Andy coming on. This'll, this is going to steady things a bit. And it did. And yeah. it's, it's, it's great to see a player like that um, who, who doesn't seek the limelight in any way at all, just comes on, he does his job and comes off the pitch and smiles at everybody and goes, yep, that's it, job done, thank you. Because if you yeah. think about the career he sort of had, whenever he broke onto the scene, he had a sort of a whirlwind start because he had that run of great games where he was in the team for a while. Then you have to deal with dropping by and Kyle McCall in the pecking order. Then you have Jack McGrath coming in, which limits your time. Eric O'Sullivan's emergence and that limits your time as well. For him to still be able to put in performances like that, starting with the game down in Connacht and then the game last week, what he did coming on off the bench. Like, there's the kind of squad player that every team would love to have. Like, that's the kind yeah. of guy that every team Absolutely. needs to have. So. And also, Adam McBurney looked pretty hungry to get into action as well, having actually been Ulster's starting hooker when they came back out of the you know, the first long lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, he put himself away. But also Andy Work, if you remember, had a, a nasty injury too. I think he had an operation mm-hmm. over the parade of, lo- of lockdown last year. So there was no absolute guarantee that he was ever going to be in a position to come back, let alone do what he did in the sports ground, wasn't it? Which was basically save Ulster's bacon that night. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you're right. That's exactly what you need in any squad. You need guys to be able to n- nip in and nip out and be able to perform, you know, at a level which will in no way see any dip in performance from those who are on the pitch. And he 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 definitely ticks that box. Um, Andy Warwick, as does people people like Alan Connor, of course, we all know as well. Another one. But um, anyway, where were we? Anyway, I can't remember what the question was. It was so long ago, we started in the back row, and now we've got to the front row. <laughs> the likes of Andy Warwick, it's 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 testament to his own character that he knows. You know what? I'm not maybe going to be third choice here. I may have to miss out completely. But when he's called on to come in and he comes in and gives 150% and goes out and does what he does, it's, it's a huge testament to his character. And uh, I'm sure we'll see him before the end of the season again. Oh, absolutely. And I think this all stems from this new squad mentality that's 
come in and the fact that, you know, Ulster have used 46 players this year. Now, I haven't gone back through the annals to sort of compare that to other seasons, but I can't think of another season where they've used that many players by this stage of the season. And whenever you consider the guys that they either, A, want to give game time to from the academy, who they haven't yet. Like, I know Tom Stewart was uh, pegged for time coming out of lockdown and then got injured. But Will Addison, Rob Balakun to come back, you know, there's a chance that Ulster could use more than 50 players this year. Like everyone buys into what they're trying to do and everyone has a role and your role may be small, but when you're called upon, you need to be able to step up. And so far, there are very few, if any, players who have actually not hit that mark. That's a remarkable stat, actually, Adam. I didn't realize they had used as many as that this year. Fair play to the, 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 st- the statisticians out there. Um, because if you think back to nine years ago when when Ulster made the European Cup final, um, they probably used about 26 players that year. and Maybe not as few as that, but it gives you an example of, of where they have come in, in nine, ten years. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, a huge, that's a huge stat. I didn't realize that. Well, the game, the game that sticks out for me from that year is the Munster quarterfinal where they didn't bring on any subs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they used 15 players to get through a... European quarterfinal, which is unthinkable right now. You know, you think about the guys that they could bring off the bench now. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. So that that was a long look at the Glasgow game that eventually went a long way to the squad mentality. Um, But we'll move on now to this week. Uh, Ospreys coming into town, Kingspan Stadium, Friday night, 8 p.m. kickoff, I think. If if the Glasgow game wasn't a we must get a bonus point. I think going into the Ospreys game this week, where you're now in, it has to be a bonus point. Am I right? A bonus point win, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant a losing bonus point for a moment there. Um, <laughs> no. Of course, yes, it does. Um, as usual, people are always very cagey about saying this, particularly when you're asked when they when they do their media briefing tomorrow. And this question's bound to crop up. And it'll be interesting to see how they, they answer it, because if you're entirely honest about it, the answer is quite simple. It's yes. It's a home game, which you're expected to win. But under these circumstances, uh, anything less than five points. And I mean, I think, you know, you, you can you can, you can can probably start giving up on talking about continuing to challenge Leinster. Of course, Leinster could slip up, but we don't expect it, do we? What you've got to do, and I mean, they've already been trotting the mantra out anyway, is just keep winning, just keep winning. But in this instance, they need five. In this instance, getting anything less than five would definitely feel like a disappointment as opposed to, you can make alliances for what happened in Scottsdale. You can make alliances for all the, the issues coming into that game, the conditions, the pitch they played on, all these things. Yes, 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 absolutely. Here, you can't. You, you, you've got to go for it. You've got to get your five in the bank, in the bank and, uh, and move on then to, which I think the next one is actually Leinster, which <laughs> is the one, that, the, the really tasty one, uh, whatever way this all shakes out in the end. To go up against Leinster, at home, I think it is very much going to be a benchmark of where you think you are in relation to them. Uh, on you know, working on the basis that we do think Leinster will send up, one would assume, a fairly decent team. So yeah, anything less than five, and I think suddenly you'll get that little gnawing feeling in your stomach that it's it's kind of over. Unless, of course, something spectacular happens. I'm not sure who Leinster are playing at the weekend. Do you know? Glasgow yeah. at home. Glasgow's at at home. In Dublin, yeah. yeah. Well, again, you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't expect them to to get anything less than five from that, would you? No, no, no. And I mean, Osprey struggled really badly last weekend against Zebra. Yeah. They won ten nil, and mm. they were poor. And I think, as Michael says, 
this is the time when you need to go out and put a good score, build a bit of momentum, build the confidence further. You've got Leinster coming up to Belfast the following weekend. I know stadiums are empty and all the rest of it. Um, the chance to lay down a marker against what who are arguably one of the best sides in Europe. And um, Ospreys are, are not in a good place at the moment. You expect Ulster to go out this weekend and no tinkering about with the team. Go out with your best available squad and, and give it a lash at the Kingspan and uh, take the five points. Keep yourself in the running in case, as you say, Michael, you don't know what can happen before the, before the end of this season. Leinster could slip yep. up somewhere along the line. We don't expect them to. But you want to see Ulster win their last four games. And at least you can say at the end of the season, you know what, we finished second, but we finished second to Leinster. And in a, in a normal year, we would have made the playoffs. Mm. So mm. it's it's mission accomplished, and we've done our. And we've just lost one game this year. That's that's a good way to sign off. Like if you, if you yeah if you could end the season was well, you're only playing sixteen games I think. So if you could end the season fifteen wins, one loss. Yeah. Like if if you looked at that in isolation, anyone would look at that and go, man, that's an amazing season. And it's only yes. the fact that you're in the same conference as Leinster that you would sort of put that down as a disappointing season because you didn't finish top. So. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, that's probably the main thing is that ultimately if Leinster did slip up and Ulster weren't there to capitalise, then there would be regret. If you got to the end of the season and you said, look, we've done all that we could do to put them under pressure, then there's nothing yeah. more you can say. If you end up going into the last game of the season and Leinster did slip up, but Ulster could, still couldn't capitalise, then you've really botched a great chance to potentially go to a final and effectively get one over on Leinster. Yeah, I think. I mean, Ospreys, Ospreys will probably come to Belfast and they'll, they'll come with the intentions of winning the game, but they don't have anything to play for at the moment because they're so far behind as it stands. They're so far in front of the other two teams left in the conference that they've yeah. guaranteed their Champions Cup qualification anyway. So Ulster just have to be aware of um, the danger of being complacent and Dan McFarland doesn't allow complacency to come into any of his uh, game plans. No, absolutely not. I think you'll see a lot of tightening up. I think you know from there were there were elements of last weekend uh, that, that weren't weren't up to scratch. There's no doubt about that. And I think you're going to see a much improved and a much more cohesive effort from Ulster this time. And I think you're right. They're own they're probably their own worst enemies in approaching this game. And hopefully uh, he will not allow or make any allowance for any of that to seep in. This is a five pointer. It's non negotiable. Let's get the five points and then let's move on. I was going to ask you both for your predictions, but I think you've very unequivocally given your predictions there in the course of that. So <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Ulster against the Ospreys on Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff. I will be live blogging it from Kingspan Stadium. So make sure you get onto the Belfast Telegraph website to follow along with that. Also, the return of the Six Nations this weekend. Ireland are in Italy. What are we what are we thinking ahead of this one, guys? Because for me, whenever you're looking at this game, it's kind of a no-win situation for Andy Farrell. If he goes with a full strength team and they hammer Italy, it's you're expected to win that game like that. If you go with an experimental team and you sort of squeeze past Italy, then everyone's panicking over the future of Irish rugby. Uh if you squeeze past Italy with a full strength team, then everyone's still in panic mode because you weren't able to hammer Italy. And if you lose, it's just an absolute catastrophe. How are, how are we seeing this one? Richard, we'll go to you first. 
Yeah, I think you've, I think you covered all bases there. <laughs> <laughs> there How do you answer that? Um, he said everything. No, he's sorry, sorry. <laughs> to really look at. We'll have to dissect that one down a bit. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. It's a no-win situation for Andy Farrell. Um, I think a bit of the criticism on Andy has been unfair. This is only his second tenure. It's been a difficult, difficult time for him. You look back what happened last year and and, and unprecedented time. So I think we need to give Andy a wee bit more time. I think. Part of Ireland's problem is they've been picking the wrong players. And that's what I'm going to put out there. And um, I'm going to mention John Cooney here. And yes, he's an Ulster man, but that's not the reason I'm talking about him. I'm talking about him being probably the informed scrum half on the island at this moment in time. And he cannot get a look in. He wasn't even named in the squad yesterday that was there. And I'm, Gibson Park is fine. He's really good in blue, but... He hasn't caught it in green. James Lowe is, is a decent enough player, but he hasn't caught it in green yet. And I think I would like to see some of the other players getting an opportunity this weekend. Uh, like to, uh, This was an opportunity to let John Cooney have a go at it. And, if, you know, if you can't perform against Italy in a green shirt, then you're probably not going to perform that well against France or against Scotland or against anybody else. And I think, yes, you're right, Adam. Ireland could use an experimental side. And that maybe might have been something to look at with the World Cup in mind down the road. You've got to think about the bigger picture further on down the road and look at some players. And this was an opportunity to do that because I think against Italy, if players can't perform, then they're going to find it very difficult to step up and perform against a really good team. And you saw that at the end of last year's Six Nations campaign where Ireland played Italy and we went, oh, Ireland are brilliant. Then all of a sudden they played France and you went, ah, we're not maybe as good as we think we are. And that stuck out for me at the end of last year. And I was keen to see changes for the Six Nations Championship. Okay, bar for a red card. And I have no doubt about it. Wales would not be sitting with two wins had they, had they not been playing against 14 players. I think Ireland would have beaten them and Scotland would have beaten them. Ireland didn't perform against France in the way they could have. But again, I think that came down to the wrong players being picked. What I expect this weekend... Andy Farwell will go with a tried and tested team and hopefully rack up a big score. And maybe that'll build a bit of confidence as they go forward in the competition. I, I said after the Wales-Scotland game, Wales are going to win the Six Nations off the back of other teams' red cards. Like it, it's just going that way at this stage. <laughs> it's, it's funny, the Six Nations Championship, I always, whenever the fixtures are released for each of the years, always look at the last game that they have. Don't look at the first weeks, the, the first round of it. Look at the last round and look at the game that's the very last one on it. The last game on this year's fixture list is France against Wales. Now, did the organisers know something? <laughs> because every year, the last fixture has usually been between the two teams who are going for the, for, for the Six Nations Championship or a Grand Slam. Do I expect France and Wales to be going head to head for a Grand Slam on the 20th of, 20th of March? No. You're saying the Six Nations organisers have, have a crystal ball them. in their HQ. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, if, if I can kind well, of reword my first question, what, what do you think <laughs> Andy Farrell will be more interested in this week? Will it be the win or the performance? And that kind of goes with what Richard was saying about like what kind of team he'll probably put out there. It's both. He is going to put out a tried and tested team. He needs the win. He hasn't got any wriggle room here. It may well be the only win he gets in the Six Nations. So he's going to go and, and get that win. The performance, who knows what he's going to get. That's been the issue. Um, we're going to probably see Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray back in again. Johnny Sexton is their greatest strength and their greatest weakness. 
greatest, uh, you know, in the sense that there isn't anyone ready to come in and take that number 10 shirt from him who's actually available at the moment. He is still their best 10, but he's also, there are other issues with that, as we all know. Lots of other issues with their, their confidence, the cohesion or lack of that they're bringing to their game, the fact that they're not able, certainly against France, they, they ignored attacking opportunities. They leathered the ball. It looks like a side that doesn't necessarily seem to know what it's doing. I know one of his mantras when he came in was he, he didn't want the stringent structure that Joe Schmidt had and the control, that he wanted players to take ownership of the situation themselves. I'm not terribly sure you know, that that is necessarily the right way. We're not seeing that at the moment. Um, we've got supposedly quality internationals who are not performing well. They will beat Italy. We all know they'll beat Italy, unless, of course, we go back to the famous 2013 game, or rather infamous 2013 game, when they completely and utterly lost the plot in Rome. And I, I just can't see that see that happening here, though. I have to say Italy can do them damage. There's no doubt about that. But the win, I think, is all that really matters here. Um, he'll obviously want very much to get a performance. But against Italy, no one's really looking you know, at the performance as such. If they, if they win narrowly, yes but we don't expect them to. I think this is about getting this result out of the way and then moving on and, and seeing if it's possible to get two wins in the Six Nations. I'm assuming we're not going to see the same kicking tactics that we saw against France this week. Johnny Sexton won't continue that if he's playing. He definitely won't. I, I would, I, no, I don't, I don't think so. But I mean, regardless of who would play 10, you would, you would like to think that that's not the way they would go about it. But no, they won't. I, I think I think they will try clearly to, to, to score tries and to put a bit of bring a bit of attacking brio back into their game if they can do it. Which so yeah, far there's not a lot of suggestion they they can. Yeah, but this is right, a nice soft landing for them, you know. You know, if yes. they're ever going to be able to look good, it, it's going to be on Saturday. And if they can't look good on Saturday, well, goodness knows where we're going to go. No, I agree with you, Michael. Um, Saxon for me, I think the captaincy is a hindrance to him, um, having that extra responsibility on his shoulders. I think he can be the, the club captain, if you like, but they should maybe look at an on-field captain just to see how it goes, because I think he he gets up referees' noses, um, mm. and then he gets agitated, and I think it impacts on his game. Um, I'm not saying it, it affects his decision-making sometimes, but I just think that it's a wee bit of a hindrance to him, and that if he didn't have that responsibility, and there are enough leaders on the park to discuss things about ego for post or what should we do this time and he can be part of that as as the senior leadership group that's just my opinion um but i think michael's right i mean we're talking about ulster having a, a win-win situation this weekend ireland need to get a win and they need to get a reasonably good win and i would like to see a bit more clinical aid from them that we didn't see at all against france there were times that you went, oh, when you dissect the game down, but you look back to the Wales game more so, there was an awful lot in that game that you could be very positive about, and you didn't see it then against France at all. Very quickly then, what are we thinking this week? I'm going to ask you for a prediction on the result and also how you think the game will, how you think the performance will go. Do you think we'll see something more cohesive from Ireland, or do you think it will be another difficult week? No, I think Ireland, Ireland will produce a performance this weekend. Um, the pressure's on the players and the coach to get that result. I think you'll, you'll see a nice managed game by Ireland. And they'll probably win by plus 30. Michael, are you in agreement? 
Uh, I think they'll win. I'm not going to say plus anything because I have no idea what 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 will happen. I really, honestly, don't know. Um, but I, I don't, I don't. I think we will come away still feeling a little bit concerned about wh- what direction Ireland are going in. That's that's my gut feeling. They could easily win by twenty. Let's say I'm going to, I'm going to say twenty. How about that? There we go. He committed in the end. I did it in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Just before we go, we have one more listener question to deal with, and that's from Jay Willis. He asks, what are your thoughts on the Jaguares potentially joining the Pro 16 next year and playing their home matches in Bilbao? This was something that was reported over the weekend. The Jaguares, the super rugby team from Argentina, have reportedly approached the Pro 14 or the Pro 16, however many teams are in it now, um, about joining for next season. They would play their games in Bilbao because obviously getting teams to travel to Buenos Aires would be some trek. So, guys, what? It'd be a good away fixture for us, Adam. Oh, I would love to go to Buenos Aires. That would be amazing. <laughs> like, when when else? When else would you go? That's the thing. Yeah, like, exactly. when else would you get the chance to travel to Argentina? Like, Spain's not that far, but Argentina would be some trek. But guys, what what do we think? Jaguares, good or bad addition to the pro? Pro rugby, if it happened, I think it has to be seen as another bonus. I mean, it's very hard to judge the Pro 14 at them or the Pro 16 or whatever you want to call it, the Pro League rugby at the moment, because the four Irish provinces have completely dominated it once again. And you're beginning to wonder what's the future for it. And the South Africans coming in for the Rainbow Cup, and let's hope that competition takes place because I think having the four South African teams is going to be huge. Irish fans might not like it because they might uh, decide to dominate the league in the future. But I think having the Argentinian side, um, I, I'm just going to call them Jaguars because it's much easier to pronounce. That's going to add another dimension to it. And it would be fantastic to, to have an Argentinian side in this. And, and maybe the whole emphasis of super rugby shifts to the Northern Hemisphere. Yes, I'll, I'll apologize again to our Spanish speaking friends if my pronunciation is way off base because I'm trying to sound cultured here, but I might be just being offensive at this point but yeah I live out in the sticks I can only so try bad. I try and pass myself off as a man of the world but I'm, <laughs> I'm really just a Lisburn man through and through look I, I think it, I think it'd be great and I think adding sort of that different dimension because the the Pro 14 has been you know throughout the years it has been Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and I think even with the introduction of the South African teams, it still felt like the Celtic League rather than pro rugby. So, you know, just the more you can add into it, the more sort of cultured and the more the, the more players you get to see, which I think is very exciting. You know, the Pro 14 doesn't have the same draw as the Premiership or the Top 14, so you're not getting all these big names in. But if you add the South African teams, if you add the Jaguars in, then you're suddenly seeing all these Argentinian internationals, the South African internationals all in the league. It would be exciting. And I can only cross my fingers that we could still get to Buenos Aires at some point. Guys, I'm afraid that is all the time we have for this week. Thank you very much for joining me, Richard, for joining us from your from in front of your very fancy cabinet in your house in England. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be uh, with you guys. Um, I only get to see you at the weekends at the post-matches and, and, and pre-matches, but um, it was really good to catch up with you today. Even then, you don't turn on your camera, so this is a, this is a special treat. <laughs> because my hair... I, I, I well, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> special treat. <Yeah. laughs> 
Michael, thank you very much for joining us as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you very much to all of you for listening. We will see you again next week to look back on the Ospreys game. Just a reminder, you can follow our live blog on the Belfast Telegraph website. And we will also look ahead to Ulster's big game against Leinster. What a massive game that's going to be. Really looking forward to it. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you all soon.